Part six of Offences Against One's Self. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Corey Samuel. Offences Against One's Self. Pederasty. By Jeremy Bentham. Part six. Notes relative to Bentham's essay on pederasty. Distinction between physical impurity and moral. The propensity is stronger than there is reason to wish it should be, to confound moral impurity and turpitude with physical impurity and turpitude. From observing the latter in any case, especially when combined with pleasure, to impute the former. From a man's being thoroughly averse to a practice himself, the transition is but too natural to his wishing to see all others punished who give in to it. Any pretense, however slight, which promises to warrant him in giving way to this propensity is eagerly embraced. It is this cause, which more perhaps than any other, more even than pecuniary interest, has contributed to produce the persecutions that hath been raised upon the ground of heresy. Different men will have different opinions, but for my own part I must confess I cannot bring myself to entertain so mean an opinion of the charms of the better part of the species, or of the taste of the other, as to suppose it can ever be necessary to send a man to make love with a halter about his neck. Antipathy no sufficient warrant non amo te sabidi, etc., may be quite enough, when all the question only is whether one shall see Sabidius or not see him. But when the question is whether Sabidius should be buried alive, or let alone, the reasons which a man should give for burning him alive may be expected to be of a cast somewhat more substantial. Whether it is an affront to God, According to some, there are two sorts of high treason, high treason against God, the heavenly king, and high treason against the earthly king, and this is high treason against God. See a book of Old English Law, entitled Miroir de Justice, Chapter 1, Section 4, Chapter 4, Section 13, Chapter 2, Section 11. According to this account of the matter, it is an offence scarce distinguishable from that which the Titans were guilty of when they revolted against Jupiter. Judge Fortescue, an Earl of Macclesfield, Chancellor of England, and other sages of the English law, seem to have given in to this idea. Fortescue's reports for the case of the King against Wiseman. His lordship shows how it came to be high treason against the King of Heaven, it is of the nature of a challenge, of which that sovereign is the object, a direct affront to the author of nature, and insolent expression of contempt of his wisdom, condemning the provision made by him, and defying both it and him. According to this account of the matter, the offence should fall indifferently, either within our first class, under the title, Offences Against the Persons of Individuals, reckoning God as an individual, 
or within the fourth class, under the title of high treason. But this account of the matter, however ingenious, seems hardly to be just. Whether it hurts population, Bermondus. Bermondus, a canonist cited with approbation by the two great English lawyers above mentioned, says that in this point of view it is worse than murder. For a murderer destroys but one man, whereas a sodomite puts to death every man that lives. Apod deum tale peccatum reputata gravius homicidio, eo quia unum homicidia unum hominem tantum, sodomita autem totem genus, humanum delere videta. This, he assures us, is God's way of taking the account. If this be the case, it must be confessed that God's arithmetic is a little different from man's arithmetic. The author of the article Sodomy in the law abridgment that goes by the name of Bacon's is more moderate. If any crime, says he, deserve to be punished in a more exemplary manner, this does. Other crimes are prejudicial to society, but this strikes at the being thereof, for it is seldom known that a person who has been once guilty of so unnatural an abuse of his generative faculties has afterwards a proper regard for women. God's Burning Sodom, Whether a Sufficient Warrant It has been observed, with regard to this offence, that God himself punished it with fire, and this has been given as a reason, not only for its being punished, but for its being punished with fire. If God, according to supposition, has punished any practice, it was either on account of the mischievousness of the practice to society, or on some other account. If the practice be of the number of those which are prejudicial to society, it will already be punished on that ground, there is no occasion to mention any other. If it be not prejudicial for society, there can be no other reason for society to meddle with it. If it be for any other reason than being prejudicial to society that God has punished the act in question, this can be no reason at all for man's punishing it. For there can be no reason but this to man. If then God punished it, it was for a reason which men cannot know. When it is clear that in any individual instance God has punished an act, in that individual instance the very circumstance of its being he who punished it ought with us to be a sufficient reason for his having done so. But when we can find no other reason, if in any other individual instance of the same sort of act God does not punish it, there is no reason at all for punishing it. The circumstance of his not punishing it in the latter instance proves as much that it ought not to be punished in that case as the circumstance of his having punished it in the former case proves that it was right to punish it in that former case. For these, or other reasons, it is an opinion that seems to spread more and more among divines of all persuasions, that the miraculous and occasional dispensations of an extraordinary providence afford no fit rule to govern the ordinary and settled institutions of human legislators. If they were, 
simple fornication, sparing enemies taken in battle, the offence of Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and their partisans, for which fifteen thousand of the people suffered death, Numbers chapter 16, murmuring against authority, and making mock at old age, the offence for which two and forty children were torn to pieces by bears, at the intercession of Elijah, 2 Kings chapter 2. To mention those cases only, among a vast number, had need to be made capital offences. If any man, under the notion of its being agreeable to God, would do any act that is prejudicial to society, he should produce a particular commission from God, given him in that individual instance. If a man without a special commission from God is to be justified in doing any violent act that has ever been done by a special commission from God, a man might as well kill his son, because God commissioned Abraham to kill Isaac. With regard to the offence in question, if it had been God's pleasure that it should be punished throughout the earth with the punishment of fire, it seems reasonable to conclude that he would at least have provided for its being punished in that manner among his own people, the Jews. But in the Jewish laws it is only provided that such offenders should be put to death generally, just as several kinds of incest, and the offence of performing conjugal duty at an unseasonable conjuncture are to be punished. As a proof that burning was not particularly intended, but rather was meant to be excluded, in the next verse a particular kind of incest is mentioned, that of him who hath knowledge of a mother and her daughter, and for this the punishment of burning to death is specially appointed. Leviticus chapter 20 Even with regard to the cities in question, it is not said that this was the only one, nor even the greatest of the offences for which those cities were destroyed. The offences imputed to them are, in the English translation, termed by the general names of wickedness, Genesis chapter 18, and iniquity, Ibidem chapter 19 verse 15, and their conduct opposed to righteousness. In this particular respect the Canaanites in question could not be more culpable than the ancient Greeks in that which is deemed the most virtuous period of their history. Yet it appears not that this punishment was ever inflicted by heaven for such a cause upon the ancient Greeks. True it is that the only offence which is mentioned as having been committed by them on any individual occasion is an offence of a sort which appears to have originated in the depraved appetite in question. It is not, however, the same offence precisely which in England is punished with simple death and in France with burning but one of a very different complexion, and of a much deeper dye. The offence attempted by the profligate Canaanites carried with it two enormous aggravations. 1. Personal violence, which by circumstance alone it stands raised as much above the level of the offence which under the name in question men ordinarily have in view as rape does above that of simple fornication. 2. A violation of hospitality, an aggravation of much greater odium, and indeed of much greater mischief, in a rude 
than in a civilized state of society. Zeal shown against it in the English Marine Law In the Articles of War established for the government of the English Navy, in Article 32, after providing with respect to this offence and other species of impurity, that they shall be punished with death, it is added, without mercy, by statute in the thirteenth year of Charles II, Statute 1, Chapter 19. Of all the offences of which a man in the maritime service can be guilty, burning a fleet, betraying it to the enemy, and so forth, this is the only one which it was thought proper to exclude from mercy. The safety of the fleet, and of the empire, were, in the eyes of the legislator, objects of inferior account, in comparison with the preservation of a sailor's chastity. Horror of Singularity In persons of weak minds, anything which is unusual, and at the same time physically disgustful, is apt to excite the passion of hate. Hatred, when once excited, naturally seeks its gratification in the tormenting or destruction of the object that excited it. Many are the innocent animals who are punished in this way for the crime of being ugly. To this head we may refer the propensity persons of weak and irritable temperament, particularly women, have to the killing of toads and spiders. The offspring of a woman, when it has had any singularity, whereby it has been distinguished in a remarkable degree from the ordinary race of human beings, under the name of monster, has often met with the same treatment. Hermaphrodites, for example, who, not knowing what sex they were, have performed the functions of both. Envy has here joined with antipathy, in letting loose against these unfortunate people the fury of the dissocial appetite. Any desire to hurt any sensitive object, which in any way has happened to become a cause of pain to us, nay, even in sensitive objects, is the natural, instantaneous consequence of such pain, and it always breaks out into evil, unless where reason and reflection interfere and check it. But in these cases, reason, far from checking, has appeared from some cause or other to dictate such behaviour. Mischief to Population Reparable by Fine If population were the only object, the mischief that a rich bachelor did by giving himself up to improlific venery might be amply repaired by obliging him to give a marriage portion to two or three couples who wish for nothing but in order to engage in marriage. Athenians wanted but permission to marry two wives. When, among the Athenians, the number of the people had received a dangerous reduction by an unsuccessful war, what was the step taken to repair it? All that was done was to permit to every man that chose it to take two wives. This shows that it was plain enough, at that time of day, there was no want of inclination on the part of the male sex towards women, and that there wanted nothing but permission 
to dispose a man to extend his connections with the other sex. And yet, at no time, and among no people, was the irregular appetite in question more predominant. How come scratching not to be held abominable? It is wonderful that nobody has ever yet fancied it to be sinful to scratch where it itches, and that it has never been determined that the only natural way of scratching is with such and such a finger, and that it is unnatural to scratch with any other. As in Russia, the only way of making the sign of the cross is with two fingers, and it is heterodox to make it with three. In ancient Persia, it was infamous to have a cold, and to take those measures which nature dictates for relieving oneself from the inconvenience of such an indisposition. Xenophon, Chiropedia. Happily for the Persians, under the clear and steady atmosphere of that country, colds were not altogether so endemical as under the humid and changeable atmosphere of England. But in all countries it is a practice that more or less has always been too frequent to confound misfortune with criminality. Punishment not necessary for the sake of women By the mild ordinances of nature, the fair sex enjoy already a monopoly as perfect as other monopolies are, and more perfect than they ought to be, of the affections of the other and this monopoly is too well secured by the means that established it to need the support of the harsh constitutions of penal laws. A ribbon, or ringlet, is a much more suitable and not less powerful tie to bind a lover than the hangman's rope of the executioner. The man may be their friend, but it should not seem a very judicious friend who would advise them to conciliate affection, by horror, and by force. End of Part 6 Notes End of Offences Against One's Self Pederasty By Jeremy Bentham